want to proclaim to you tonight that we are living in the greatest time to be alive. And it is the greatest time to be alive for God's people. And how you position yourself today will determine the extent of what you receive in the next 10 to 12 years of your life. How you position yourself today will determine what you receive the next 10, 12 years of your life. And uh, on August the, uh, let me have the exact date, August the 20th, yeah, I'm saying the right date, uh, 2021, the Lord said to me, we're in a defining moment for the people of God. And uh, defining moment is, I didn't even know it was a dictionary definition, but it means this, a point at which the essential nature or character of a person or group of people is revealed or identified. And so I, when I say that, it's not because uh, I need something to say or I want to say something encouraging, but it's, it's actually the truth that this is the greatest time to be alive for God's people. And God's people are not without in this season. In fact, uh, right before the new year, I saw this really neat, neat picture and I saw it like a chessboard. I saw like the enemy was trying to move and he was, he was making these moves, but God was always one step ahead of his move. So you can always be one step of what the enemy is doing in the earth. And defining moments, there's, there's many in scripture that I would mention, but I would point you to, and I encourage you to read it. We won't look at it tonight. I'd encourage you to look at Numbers, the 13th chapter, because the will of God in that season, and that's what we will be judged for. You will be judged not for the things that you do, but for the things that God called you to do. Very important. You will be judged for the things, not the things that you do, but the things that God called you to do. And even on a, a, a deeper level, you will be judged for the motivation by which you do them. <laughs> That's a few things the Lord told me. You're not going to get credit for that one. So <laughs> you, did, you did it, but you did it with a bad heart. <laughs> you didn't like the person you were doing it for. Sorry. Something marked me that I heard my, my friend Ken Peters, who transitioned to be with the Lord last year, the Lord told him, he said to him, the first five years of your ministry, none of it will register in heaven. Yeah, that's a wow. And it's not to beat ourselves up tonight, but to understand that, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this more in a minute, but part of maturing as a believer is really realizing that currency, uh, excuse me, time is currency. And uh, we must live in such a way that our lives are being recorded because they are. And in Numbers 13, God says to the nation of Israel, his chosen people, fully equipped to go in, that I've given you the promised land. And he allows them to go scout out the land. And what's very interesting is they come back and they say, they actually mention that what God has said about this land is true. And he says, yeah, it flows with milk and honey. And then they also say something that's true, but not true enough to defeat what God had said. They said, these people are like giants. They're not lying. They're not exaggerating. They're not American. What they're saying, they're giving an accurate description of who these people are. And what they saw with their eyes defined what they could receive from God. So in that defining moment, the, the word of the Lord 
did not prevail in their life. And the good news is this. God always, even Old Testament, never throws you away. But he has to, he has to relate to you at a, in, at, a, at a place he never intended to relate to you to prove to you something he wanted to prove to you 40 years before that. And that was that he could take care of you. Now, the other side of this is fascinating to me, and we have the, it's, it's a little easier for us because we had the benefit of what was actually taking place. Remember, they go to, uh, they, they talk to the prostitute that 40 years later, they're, they're scouting out the land. The walls are all closed because they know Israel's coming. And she goes, we heard about your God, and we wondered when you were coming. They were already defeated. It's the point of that. God already had victory for them. It just took their courage to believe him to receive what he had for them in that season. So your ability to receive what God has for you in a particular season determines, what, d- determines your path on the earth. It doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. It just means you might not fulfill everything that God had for you on the earth. That's also a really big, imp- well, I guess we'll touch on that in a minute. But the, the, the point of that is God judges you and will judge each and every one of us, including myself, for the time period in which we live in. Not for the religious stuff we do, but for the things he called us to do. And the works, he'll, he, he will want to judge those works to last eternally. And uh, we're in one of these moments of definition for the people of God. They did not enter into what God made available. And God is fully, he's, he's, the most, he's the most truest, justice, righteous judge there is. And that's a characteristic about Jesus that's not often talked about. He is a righteous judge. And he will be fully justified in judging you for the things that you did because he fully made available what you needed for the hour that you were living in. It is our ability to connect with the purpose of God that makes us relevant to the world around us. It is only in our ability to be uh, relevant that allows us to become a person of influence and then become a person who shapes culture. Say that again. It's only in our ability to be relevant in the purposes of God that allows us to become a person of influence and then a person who shapes culture. Those, Those go kind of in order. You can't shape something unless you're influencing it. So you start with, with the ability to begin to uh, uh, sh- uh, influence and then you, you usually will g- be given the ability to shape it. And the thought that I had in mind tonight that the Lord would have us look at for the next few hours, I don't know, I'm just going to talk. <laughs> I have a story from a few weeks ago. He told me to go for it. Me going for it and him going for it were two different things. <laughs> That's funny. There's a, a call to mature discipleship. And, and I, I, I want to give a background too to just some of the things we're going to delve into here in a minute. And it's this, and, and I think it's important to, to uh, at least this be part of the lens by which we look at what God would have us look at tonight. And it's this, give yourself the grace that God gives you. Sometimes people's worst critic is himself. Now, there's an important part of maturity that you are actually have the ability to become self-aware and where you are in the things of God. And it, it's actually a, 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 a key bench part, be, benchmark in your life to becoming a mature believer. Because many believers, unfortunately, I've worked with believers now close to 20 years, 
and many believers, their, in, their, uh, their inability to grow in self-awareness actually keeps them bound to their own issues. And because one of the key, uh, he, he, Paul said, right, examine yourselves and judge yourself. So it's the ability to actually be aware of where you are, be aware of your weaknesses, be aware where you need upgrades, be aware of how you need to change. And often people will use uh, spiritual principles to masquerade their own immaturity and their inability to actually deal with those things. Like, like you're hurting. No, I'm overcoming, brother. No, you, you need to really... Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Uh, see, kind of we go the other way and understand why it was taught. But often your emotions are God-given and they will indicate to you that something is off in your heart. And so if you want to sit in that place, like, and, and it is true, you have overcome, but if you don't deal with what the, the, the heart places that are being identified there and become self-aware, no, I'm actually hurting or I'm actually thinking incorrectly in this area or I'm actually uh, lashing out at people, then your inability to be self-aware will cut you off from the nature of God in that area for you to be fully mature as a disciple. And the lie is, because I have fruit, because I hear from the Lord, because I'm in a position of power, that God's okay with your stupidity. And he's not, and he's trying to make you aware of it, but your ability to judge yourself will often be the measure by which you can grow in that area. So, but give yourself, so that, that was the one side of it, but give yourself the grace that God gives you because I'm not talking to, this reason why I'm saying this, I don't want it to be so introspective where you're, you know, oh, I'm bad at this, it's not it. If you are properly positioned in God, he'll let you know everything you need to know when you need to know it. Now, the po important point of that is that you actually respond to the invitation to constantly change the way you're thinking. That, that, is, that is actually a mark, and we'll hopefully delve into it to just a little more, that is actually a mark of maturity in your life as a believer that you have the ability to continue to grow and to grow and to grow in your thinking and in your self-awareness. The goal of discipleship is to be like him. The goal of discipleship is to be like him. It's really important because if you don't know God's vision for your life, you, you will never receive it. The goal is not to get to heaven. Heaven is a consequence of being like him. It's important because sometimes like, you know, it's really important, most important thing is that we're snatching souls out of hell. That's actually not even in the Bible. I'm not saying there's not a truth to it. It's just not in the Bible. You'll also notice that Jesus never led anyone in a prayer of salvation in the New Testament. The goal was surrender. So the goal of discipleship is to be like him. Look at Matthew 10. Hope you brought your Bibles tonight. This is going to be fun. I love the word of God. Please read that Bible. If you are not constantly digesting the word of God 
in your life, then it's not if, it's when your life will fall apart. Here it is, Matthew, Ephesians 5, Paul, apostolic teaching as well. We won't read it tonight because we're going to look at a lot of scriptures tonight. But Ephesians 5, verse 1, and I encourage you that when you read things in scripture, he is not giving a suggestion. Paul is not American. <laughs> he is actually giving a command from the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. And he says, be imitators of Jesus. And then Matthew 10, 24. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is, enough for a, it is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of the household? Therefore, do not fear, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. I just read those verses. Not to make any point on what I'm saying here, but just, I just like them. I like everything in the Bible. But the goal is this. The goal is to be like him. The goal is not to get you to heaven. The goal is not to rescue you from this world. The goal is to be like him. In any situation, in any environment, to be like him. So the goal of discipleship and maturity is to be like him. You have to, one thing that will really help you when you're walking with the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit is to realize that before you were born again, you were one step short of being mentally ill. I'm not even joking about that. Because when you are outside of the kingdom of God, this is an important point here, this is not a small point, because some people still want to think mentally ill even though they're in the kingdom of God. The, one of the goals is for you to see and to think correctly in God. It's one of the goals. Before you were born again, you had an incorrect lens and you had a delusional view of reality. One of the doors to mental illness is, is deluded reality. Why do you, why do you think like this whole thing, LGBTQ2, AIP2 spirit, Obviously, we've got to love people and all that stuff. But why do you think there is a demand for you to not say anything about it, for you to agree with it, for you to be called a bigot if you don't, if, 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 if Steve is now Jennifer, she's been St Steve with Steve for 45 years, now they demand you in your workplace to call her Jennifer. Why do they do that? Because they want you to agree with delusion. And if you have a whole society filled with delusional people, you have mass chaos. So you got to think like that. I know nothing. I need help. The problem is, often, is people want to apply what they think they know about God into the context of becoming like Him. So what is the context of becoming like Him? I'm glad you asked, Pastor Chris. The context of becoming like Him is the body of Christ. There is no discipleship and there is absolutely no maturity outside the context of a community of people forgive me if you have ever as a leader really this is no joke if you've ever been abused taken advantage of in any way by a leader or or didn't work out or you had a hurtful experience in the body of christ but i want to tell you but for every hurtful experience there's thousands of leaders doing the very best they can and it is still God's plan for the earth. 
like saying, I'm giving up the family because my father was bad. Only with the things of God. Again, it's another little theology people create. The devil creates in people's minds to keep them back from what God has for. The church is a community which God builds his worldview of the church. The context of becoming like him is the church. The church is a community which God builds through this worldview called the kingdom of God. The only thing that God ever established, he never established a religion called Christianity. We did that. Not even saying it's bad to describe it sociologically like that. I'm just saying it's not in the Bible. The only thing he establishes in Genesis 1 is the kingdom of God. The only thing that Jesus ever preached was the kingdom of God. The only, you never actually hear him preach about being born again. The only context you find that is in talking to Nicodemus. Does it make being born again unimportant? No, it's just not the primary goal of God. And when he dies, resurrects, and is about to ascend, he spends 40 days talking about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It's amazing. I grew up around the things of God, and I don't remember. It might have, but I never really heard a message on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God in a simplistic definition, is the rule and the reign in the hearts of men. It is a kingdom that is not of this world, but it is supposed to run this world. And it runs the world through people who, are, who have committed authority and rulership to God, and under his authority, they take dominion of the world that they've been called to steward through the purpose of God in their life. That's what it is. And often, it's often difficult. Some, some even believers don't like that word dominion, even though it's in the Bible. The problem is, often I think, and, and I understand what some people, some, they have a little trouble with that, but dominion is often we look at biblical concepts through Babylonian system ideas. I want to have dominion in the world that I live in, not to meet an insecurity in my life, not to, I'm taking over all this, not, it's not interested. I want to have dominion because I want to display the superiority of who my God is and the grandeur and the brilliance of who God is to do it correctly in God's way. That's another important part of discipleship. God has not only given you a new nature, he's given you a whole new way of living, which at the center, he wants to teach you how to live correctly in every area of life. He wants to give you a lens by which you see reality. So what is the church? I'm glad you asked, Pastor Chris. The church is God's governing authority on the earth with the worldview of the kingdom of God. And God has promised to build his church. A church is anything that God, listen to me, listen to me, Linda. The church is anything that God has put together. Not a good idea. I've had people, why are you in ministry? I thought I could help people. It's not the reason to start a church. You can help people in the soup kitchen. Now that sounds really mean, but it's right. I'm not trying to be mean, we're just trying to be biblically right. The church is anything that God has brought to, that, that God has called men and women to lead and to start a community of people to disciple them 
to reach the earth through the worldview of the kingdom of God. So it could be a man, it could be a woman. Some of these communities live, uh, 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 meet in big buildings on Sunday. I've preached under trees. I've preached under uh, little canopies, this little room today. And it's all ordained by God if God's the one who birthed it. Yes. Not, we decided to leave because, you know, those people of color were in the room. Or the bishop told me I should start one. Or we got mad at the pastor and said we could do it better, so we started our own church. No good reasons to start a church. And that's often what causes a lot of pain for people. Because God never started something. And then it's built dysfunctionally. And anything built dysfunctionally that's not repented of will eventually produce dysfunction. You can't change a root. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am, son of man? They said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to him, who do you say that I am? When God asks you a question, he is obviously looking to reveal something to you, but he's also wanting an ongoing dialogue. Listen to those questions from the Lord because he's wanting to dialogue with you. Don't go, that's really nice, you know, like, that's nice, that's nice. And then just leave. I've had these, uh, like, what I'm talking to you about tonight is years and years of dialogue with the Lord. Because I decided, they lied to me in the South. I proudly live in the South. I live where God lives in North Carolina. But there's no blessing in being stupid. Bless their heart, they don't know, no, no, no. There's no blessing in staying dumb. Jesus answered him, blessed are you. No, he said, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And also I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I love this statement and stick it in your heart and meditate on it. I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. God has promised to build his church in its various expressions. There are all sorts of different expressions of what I believe. Could meet in a home, could meet for a meal, and then worship together. What authorized that as, as part of being part of what God is doing in the church is did God say did God appoint men and women to lead it and to start it and to birth it and then Paul he teaches us what this body looks like and I want you to notice this phrase that's really really important for a community of people you'll notice that it is not a small place in his teaching Romans the 12th chapter and we'll look at it at three different lenses or three different places where he emphasizes this thought. For I say through the grace, this is Romans 12, verse 3. Hope you brought your Bible tonight. Through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For we have many members in one body. We have many members in one body. Many members in one body. 
many members in one body. So sometimes like this thought, and I don't know why, it's, it's maybe more among charismatics. We are the church, brother. Or you're the father, you're a mother, you're the son too, you're everything. No. We are many members, one body. But all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ. And catch this. Individually members of one another. Individually members one another. Individually members of one another. So the body of Christ cannot be expressed unless it's in the context of a community.